Good morning. Uh, a very, very warm welcome to you all on a, such a lovely day. Uh, it's great that we've been able to gather together. It's great to see you here with us. And if you've joined us online, it's great that you're able to join us uh, there too. If you're new or you're visiting, uh, please do hang around after the service uh, to chat with us. It'd be great uh, to get to know you all a little bit better. So before we start, before we hand over to, to Rob to, uh, to lead us through uh, the service, uh, let me uh, just uh, pray for our hearts. Uh, The psalmist writes, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Uh, Father, thank you so much for gathering us together. Father, I do pray that the distractions of the day, uh, we might set them aside. Uh, Stir our hearts and ready us to meet with you this morning. That we might be changed and transformed. In Jesus name. Amen. Shall we pray? Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours. And yours also the earth. You founded it, the founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south, Tabor and Hermon. Sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. O Lord, you are awesome and powerful. You are the great creator, and yet we, as your children, can come right into your presence and speak with you. We do count that such a privilege, Lord. Not only can we speak to you, but we know that you hear and answer us. We do praise and thank you this morning that you are right here with us, listening to the groanings of our hearts. We thank you that we have this freedom to be here worshipping together, reading from your word and hearing it expanded to us. For those of us who haven't been able to worship with your people, our spiritual family, in person for such a long time, it's such a blessing to just be here together today. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to have your hand of protection upon us all. And that your ministry here would continue to grow from strength to strength. And that we will see many souls saved. We do pray for Saab and Colin, Lord, that you would anoint them and strengthen and bless their ministry. We pray for Colin, who has COVID at the moment, that it would remain a mild attack. And he would just know your presence with him. And we ask that you would give Saab the extra energy and time that he's going to need whilst Colin is out of action. We do thank you that Julius and Yelendi are here to share with us today, and we thank you for all their involvement in Eswatini. Thank you for all that we've heard and been brought to our attention this morning, and I pray that you would make it clear to each of us how we can be more involved And, Lord, that you would lay this work upon our hearts so that we will be faithful in praying for them. We ask that you would be with Julius as he goes to the conference this week, 
that you would go before him so that he makes good contacts and more churches will be willing to support and twin with the work of the ICBCs. We pray for the chards in Egypt, especially for Josh and Rafi who have been unwell, and we do pray, Lord, that you would give them some encouragements at this time. May they really know your presence with them and your loving arms around them. We thank you for John Billet's ministry and pray for him as he's preaching in Sussex this morning. We thank you for all our young people and we lift them to you now as they're being taught from your word. We thank you for each teacher and ask that you would help them to teach really clearly. We pray for all the activities that will happen this week in this building, for Impact and Rara, for Toy Box and Baby Box, for Friday at 7. We pray for Spectrum, the Friday Cafe, the Men's Breakfast, Lord, and even the Surgery as they hold their meeting here. Oh, Lord, we just want all that walk through these doors just to feel the love of the Lord Jesus. And we pray that we will take advantage of every opportunity to share that love and to have conversations that will lead many to want to know more about you. We continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and to ask for peace in that land. Thank you for the help that's being given through the fellowship in Kalarash. And we continue to pray for their safety. Now, Lord, we pray for Helen as she reads your word to us, and for Saab, Lord, that you will anoint him as he opens your word, and that our hearts will be receptive to what you have to say to each of us this morning. We bring these prayers to you in and through that precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, We continue our reading today in the book of Ephesians, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Helen, thanks so much for, for reading uh, for us. Uh, before we uh, come to the passage, let's, uh, let's just pray for our time together. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to your word this morning, I pray that uh, you would help me speak your truths clearly. Uh, grant to us that we might have hearts ready to hear from you, 
uh, minds that are teachable. Uh, be at work in us this morning by your spirit. Uh, draw us closer to yourself that we might long to know you better and live more fully for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please do keep your Bibles open. It'd be a great help uh, for me if you're able to uh, follow along uh, as we go through. Uh, we looked at the opening verses of this letter uh, that Paul wrote to the churches in Ephesus, uh, where he paints uh, the most dramatic picture of what God has uh, been doing, is doing, and then will continue to do. And he's painted it on the largest canvas imaginable. Uh, a canvas that starts from before the dawn of time, runs through all of time and space, and then through all of eternity future. And a plan that has Christ at its very, very heart. It's a huge, huge sweep, isn't it, of what God has done. And as we journey through the letter that Paul has written to the churches, uh, Paul's going to try to draw out for us uh, the implications of what this means. Uh, in the first three chapters, that's what he's doing. He's reminding us of the theological truths. And then in the back half of the letter, he's going to unfold those so that we know what it is uh, to live as Christians and how we can relate to God well and how we can relate to one another well as well. So as we look at our passage this morning, I want us to see just two things. Uh, firstly, knowing God. Uh, and secondly, a knowledge that changes lives. Knowing God and a knowledge that changes lives. So firstly, knowing God. Uh, one of the things I was quite uh, struck about as I reflected on the reading that we had uh, last week was the truth that God knew us from before the foundation of the world. Yeah, that before uh, anything was created, uh, that he knew us. Um, and I was uh, reminded of an essay that uh, a blogger and an academic uh, called Frederick de Boer wrote uh, a couple of months ago. And he wrote an essay uh, looking at why people are just so unhappy and why they're so unsettled today, uh, especially in the Western world. And he concluded that the reason that we're so unhappy is that we are hopelessly insecure and helplessly narcissistic. Uh, we desperately, desperately want to be known and we desperately want to be loved. Yet we are terrified. He argues that we're terrified because to be truly known is to know that we are truly unlovable. Let me say that again. He argues that uh, for us to be truly known is to know that we are unlovable. And to be truly known, says the world, to be tr is to be truly unlovely. Uh, de Boer, who's, uh, he's not a believer, uh, and he argues that the two deepest needs that we have are irreconcilable. A need to be known and a need to be loved. And he says that because of that, we're destined to be mired in a swamp of anxiety, of fear, of longing and of emptiness. To be known and to be loved is right at the very heart of what it means to be human. That's how we've been made. Uh, the writer of Genesis uh, tells us that Adam and Eve walked in the garden face to face with God. They were naked and they felt no shame. They and we are made to live face to face with God and to be loved by God. And Adam and Eve's nakedness reveals that they were completely known. 
nothing was hidden. We long to live that way, to be utterly known and to be deeply loved. But they are two very frightening truths. De Beurre's right about that. Because we know that as we look into our own hearts, that if somebody knew the thoughts that we have, if someone knew the motives that we had, if somebody knew the things that we've done in the dark corners, well, we'd be exposed. We'd be revealed as being unlovable. And so we hide. We fear being known because we believe that if we are fully known that we will be rejected. Rejected by our friends, rejected by our family, and maybe rejected by God. And so we respond in a couple of ways, don't we? Uh, either uh, it can make us legalistic, uh, trying outwardly to obey the rules so that uh, people, and we think God, uh, will think better of us. And that makes us anxious, doesn't it? It makes it uh, a joyless existence. Uh, or our failure against internal and external standards fills us with despair that we can't do it. We can't manage it. And so we just fall back into our old ways. We slip away. But de Boer is actually wrong about the fact that there is only despair ahead. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. The reason why and how we can be known and loved and what that means for us. And it all comes from knowing God. So take a look in your Bibles with me at verses 17 through 20. Paul writes this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. Just look back up at uh, the second half of verse 17 with me, where he writes, uh, speaking of, uh, of our heavenly father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul tells us that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And that what we need is to have the Holy Spirit to be at work in our minds uh, and in our hearts uh, to alert us to what God has done. The first thing that we need is revelation. So let's just think about revelation for a moment. Uh, the, the truth of what God has done throughout all of history and will do going forward is not something that we ourselves can work out. It's just not the case that given enough time and enough computing power that we can work out what God has done. That if we got together the heads of Amazon, IBM, um, Microsoft and Dell, that somehow they could throw enough computers at it and work out what God has done. No. But it is true that we're on notice that God has created all things. In Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. And it is true that God has inscribed a law on the hearts of all people. So we know what is right and what's wrong. But we can't work out precisely what God has done just by ourselves. 
We can't, for instance, work out that God has predestined us for adoption unless God tells us. We can't work out completely what Jesus' death on the cross means unless God tells us. And we can't work out uh, of his call for us. We can't work out his call for us to be holy and blameless unless God tells us that. And so it goes on. And God has done uh, all those things. He has told us. He has revealed those things to us. And he's revealed those things to us in and through his word. And there's great comfort and revelation and truth in that. Now, for my own journey uh, uh, from atheism to trusting in Jesus, one of the things that was most compelling to me was the historicity of the Christian faith. That right at the heart of the Christian faith was the undisputable truth that Jesus had been raised from the dead. That no matter how hard, however, I tried to get out from underneath that fact to try to disprove it, however hard I tried, I simply couldn't get out from underneath that truth. And that as I looked at the resurrection of Jesus and what that meant in the world, it just wasn't credible to think of Jesus as anything other than who he said he was, the son of God. That was the revelation. That was the truth that I needed in order to respond to the gospel. God revealing himself to me and to each one of us in and through the Lord Jesus. That revelation has caused many people to respond and turn to God. The good news of what God has done to rescue us in Christ. Now, Bono, the lead singer of U2, uh, put it like this. He said, Jesus went around saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was nuts. Forget rock and roll messianic complexes. I mean, Charlie Manson type of delirium. And I find it hard to accept that millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2000 years have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just I just don't believe it. He says that Jesus is who he claims he is. And for Bono and for millions of others, the truth of who Jesus is has changed and transformed lives. The evidence that we have for Jesus' life, death and resurrection is utterly compelling. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not sure if Jesus is who he says he is, then please do grab one of these, one of these Mark's Gospels on your way out uh, and do read it. Uh, read it with me or read it with the person that you came with. And take a look at who God is, what he has revealed about what he is doing. Don't reject the Christian faith without looking at the evidence. Now, Paul also tells us, doesn't he, in this letter that uh, the churches in Ephesus, they need to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God better. And that's what we need too, to know God better. And last week we spoke about God choosing us and spoke of God knowing us, not just having information and facts about us, but actually knowing us. And the same call is true for us towards God to know him. And that's amazing, isn't it? That is amazing that the God who chose us from before the foundations of the world, before the beginning of all time, is the one who wants to know us. Wants us to be in a living relationship with him, to get to know who he is. Now, part of getting to know someone uh, for us 
uh, is spending time with them, isn't it? Uh, knowing what they're about, knowing what their heart's desires are. And it's only as you spend deliberate time with someone can you get to know them. It's true, isn't it? And so it's true with God as well. And to help us, he's given us his word. He's given us uh, his spirit, the spirit of God, who will speak to us through his word to best hear God, to get to know him better. And we do that by being in his word daily. Now, the Bible tells us what God has done, but it also describes his heart, doesn't it? It describes his heart of mercy, his tenderness, his gentleness and his care. His desire, his ache to bring and gather his people back to himself. And there's also a revelation of God's utter holiness and his justice. That those who reject God will themselves be rejected. Now, the the obvious application of this is to spend more time in your Bible. And you don't need the guy at the front to tell you that. Uh, But that is one application. But... Let me speak to another group of people here. For some of us, we may spend hours and hours and hours every day in our Bibles. We may know a lot about God. We may have lots of information about God in our minds. Uh, Perhaps we can recite the Ten Commandments. Uh, We can name the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 disciples just trip off our tongue and perhaps we can even rattle off all the books of the Bible in alphabetical order. Uh, Some of us may have lots of knowledge, but our Christian lives may be dry and they may be joyless. And at times it feels like we're just going through the motions And no matter how much information we have and force into our minds, it just doesn't help. And that's because the truths that we've stored in our heads haven't yet made it to our hearts. We need those truths to drop into our hearts for that penny to drop. Um, Many years ago, um, I was at a summer camp and uh, I was parched. It was a hot day, and uh, the base I was on, there was a a big vending machine uh, in the mess, and um, I thought, yeah, I could really do with a drink. So I grabbed a few coins out of my pocket, pushed them in, and you hear that, clink. It's like, okay, nothing's happened. Drop in another coin, clink. Nothing happens. And then there was a uh, dance that we've probably all done with a vending machine where you gently caress it. And then you give it a bit of a shake and a kick. And eventually, with much um, effort, the penny finally sank and out popped a cold and refreshing drink. And that's what we need. We need the truths that we've been putting in our heads to just drop down into our hearts. And that's our second point. A knowledge That changes our hearts. So take a look with me at verses 18 through 19. Paul writes this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
the essence of moving from information about God to a relationship with God lies in having the eyes of our hearts open. That was the first song that we sang this morning. And it's not an anatomical point. Paul doesn't think that we actually have eyes literally in our chest. But the phrase that Paul uses here uh, draws on the Greek understanding of uh, that the, our hearts were our control center, uh, where our desires uh, were controlled, where our emotions uh, and our wills were. So Paul's saying that his prayer for the believers in Ephesus and for us here this morning is that the penny would drop, the information would move from being information to being joyful relationship. And Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts might enlighten them and enlighten them to three very particular things. Okay, three things for us as well. Firstly, the hope to which God has called you. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And thirdly, God's incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, I mentioned at the start of our talk this morning that the big problem that many of us have is the challenge of being known and being loved. Uh, We know that deep down we're not lovely. Our actions, our motives and desires aren't good all the time. And because of that, we fear being known. We fear that we aren't lovable. And I guess for many of us, we're like that Coke vending machine that I was talking about. There's a blockage between the place where we put the coin in and the place where the coin needs to go in order to dispense the drink. There's a blockage that stops that information becoming relationship. And for some of us, that can be a fear. That because God knows everything about us, that he knows our weaknesses, that perhaps we might not be loved by him. So Paul wants us to consider these three things in the light of what he's told us in the first half of the chapter. Paul wants us to look on these things and allow them to burn brightly into our hearts for us to know that they're true and to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, especially if you're here this morning and you're in a season of dryness or if you've never felt the joy of being drawn close to God. Firstly, the hope to which he's called you. Uh, A social commentator once said that uh, we live our lives, human beings, we live our lives leaning forward. That how we feel about the current situation of where we are now is colored by what drives us about the future. Our future hope colors how we live today. Okay, now imagine this little uh, thought experiment. Imagine there are two men uh, and they are both given uh, a job to do for 12 hours. Okay, and it's a very dull job. It's just literally folding bits of paper in two. 12 hours, they've got to do that. And they're placed in a same featureless room, no windows, um, desk, chair, 12 hours, fold bits of paper. One guy is told, fold bits of paper, and at the end of the day, I'll give you a hundred pounds. Okay? The other guy, in exactly the same conditions, we tell him, fold these bits of paper, 12 hours, we'll pay you a hundred thousand pounds. Okay? Exactly the same conditions, doing exactly the same job. The guy that's being paid £100 is probably grumbling and mumbling and not happy about doing what he's doing, but he's just kind of grudgingly getting through it. 
The guy that thinks he's going to get paid £100,000 is as happy as Larry, isn't he? He's folding bits of paper. He can't wait to do more and more and more. And, oh, there's, if there's more paper, let me fold it. Let me find bits of paper to fold. Yeah, his outlook, even though his situation, his current, where he's placed, is exactly the same as this other guy. His entire attitude, the entire way that he is leaning into his life is completely coloured by the truth that he's going to get paid £100,000. It changes everything about him. It changes everything. (laughs) And that's the same for us, isn't it? Yeah, we live our lives driven by what we think about the future. Now, Paul wants us to dwell on what we've been promised. What we've been promised, what our hope is. Our hope is rooted in what God has called us to be. Our hope is rooted in the true and certain knowledge that we are adopted as his children. Now, through death and through all eternity. That God has set his love upon us for all time. That God's looked into our hearts, he's seen the darkness, he's seen the failures, and he has set his love on us anyway. He knows us all the way to the bottom, and he has predestined us to be with him through all eternity. You and I are loved by God. And how can we know that for sure? Look to the cross. Look at Jesus, God's only son. He left the father's side so that you and I could be drawn in to become children of God. Jesus was the only one who truly deserved to hear God say to someone, well done, good and faithful servant, come into your father's rest. But instead, he got the hell that we deserve. Being utterly cast out so that you and I could be drawn in to heaven. He died So that you and I could have eternal life. There is no love like that anywhere. And we've got to meditate on that. We've got to climb into those truths. And let those truths seep into who we are and how we see the world. And as we do that, the blockage that we have between our head and our heart will dissolve. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, Perhaps a better translation uh, would be in God's holy people, in the people that God has set apart for himself. Uh, If you're here this morning and you think that your life is so bad that there is no way that God could really love you, then these words are for you. This verse tells us that we, you and I, are God's inheritance And we're told that God's inheritance is glorious. Uh, The word implies an overflowing of riches, a sense of fullness, uh, of abundance, of extreme value and great beauty. God's inheritance is indeed overflowing. And we're told that we, we're God's inheritance. 
Uh, the language that uh, uh, Paul uses here is a possessive pronoun. It shows us that we belong to him as his inheritance. We, you and I, are that glorious inheritance that when God sums up everything, when he brings all things to a, uh, to a conclusion at the end, the thing that he longs for is in Christ that we will be that inheritance. That is the joy that he looks for you and me. You may think that you've done things that will disqualify you from being God's people. Please hear me. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter if in the past you've been a mobster, a tax dodger, a murderer or pedophile or anything else that you think is terrible. God calls everyone to respond to the gospel, irrespective of our past. And when we do, irrespective of our past, we are inherited and we are adopted into God's family and sealed by his spirit. Let me ask you this morning, do you know that you are God's glorious inheritance? Is that truth alive for you in your hearts? And how can we know that it's true? Uh, In Hebrews 12, we're told that uh, for the joy, for the joy that was set before Jesus, Jesus endured the cross despising its shame. As Jesus sweated blood in the garden, looking at the cup of God's wrath and the cross looming large, it was the joy. It was the joy of knowing that Jesus would have you and me with him through all eternity that meant that he could go to the cross. You and me are the joy is set before Jesus. Has that truth settled in your heart? And thirdly, God's incomparable power at work in us. Friends, we are not alone. God himself lives in us by his Holy Spirit. But that also means we're changed. We leave the old life, the old desires behind, and we live now in a way that glorifies God. It means that we have the power now to live for him in a way that glorifies him. And it allows us to joyfully become people of God. Knowing that we're God's treasure means that we can stop trying to prove ourselves to other people. It means that we don't have to seek the approval of people. We're freed from the anxiety of what other people think because the approval of the king of the universe is settled on each one of us. We don't have to be burdened by guilt and shame. Uh, When we fail, we know that we can turn back to God and we can say sorry, knowing that he knows us. He knows when we make a mistake. He already knows us to the very bottom and he loves us. And he didn't leave us when he had the chance. He stayed on the cross. He's shown his incalculable love for you. And this is the work of the spirit to take the truths of what God has done and to shine a bright light on them, to spotlight the Lord Jesus, to make his rescue of us a lived reality in our hearts. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in us. And he makes the truths of what Christ has done more and more real in our hearts. We just need to meditate on these truths. And as we work our way through the book of Ephesians, we'll see more and more how God calls us to live 
radically different lives, marked with service, with love, with humility, with holiness, with unity around the gospel, prayer, generosity, and joy. And we'll only be able to live that way to the extent that these truths burn brightly in our hearts. So my encouragement to you this week is just to meditate on the letter of Ephesians. Trust in Jesus. Know who we are because of what God has done in Christ. And allow that to stir your hearts afresh. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these amazing truths. Help us to marvel at what you've done and help our hearts to be captivated by your love. Where our affections for you are weak and half-hearted, help the truths of your word kindle a desire to know you better. Help us to see who you've made us in Christ and help us to draw on the strength that you provide by your spirit to live as your children for your glory and for our good. Amen. Words uh, from scripture to close. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.